Good evening, everybody. So in a minute, I'm going to expose the Eucharist. So I got a, a number of requests, like, who am I and what do I do? So let me tell you a little bit, because I don't really want to do it in front of the exposed Blessed Sacrament, because even Jesus would be bored, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I'm in Chalco, Mexico. So here's what happens. Here's the quick Reader's Digest version. I'll tell you what the sisters do, because Father Al, this is what they do in every country. We're in seven countries. We take care of 18,000 kids. It's very simple. The sisters go to a locale in Mexico. There's nine states in Mexico. They'll call a parish, hey, St. Clement of Rome, two sisters of Mary, it's always a poor area. We're coming to your location, and we're, gonna, we're looking for children, middle school, 11 to 12, that would like to come to the school. Five years, 11 months, totally free. It's a boarding school. They go home two times for two weeks. I'll explain that. And we'll go there, and there'll be 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 girls and boys. We give them a basic aptitude test. They have to be able to read and write basic. And then the sisters will interview them. They write down their background. Do you have a father? No. How many brothers and sisters? What are their names? How old are they? And then we ask them, why do you want to study? Why do you want to go to our school? Because we're making a big commitment, because every child we take, we have to get them through the program. And there's many reasons why kids struggle with that. And so the children will take the test. The sisters will interview the girls and the boys. Like I said on Sunday, we look at the boys' hands. If the boys' hands are dirty, we accept them, because their dads are farmers, and they probably never, never studied. Okay, basically in some of the countries, it's, it's primary school, which is basically middle school, high school. By the time they graduate our school, they're ready for college. If they have the aptitude, most of them go out and work for a year or two. They gotta remind them, they gotta cut their teeth in working and get back, because then they're, they're really striving harder to graduate. Most of our girls and boys that graduate our program and go on to college are the very first uh, members of the family to go to college. Father Al was always, always, always about saving souls. When all of that stuff went away in the 60s and 70s, Father Al said, our role is to save the souls of the children. We give them food to give them the Eucharist. We give them water to teach them of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Everything was always going back to the sacramental encounter. So we take one child from every family. Mexico is a gigantic country. They will come to our school the first day of school this year. In Mexico, we accepted 962 new students. What does that look like? Bus after bus after bus comes in with their parents. The girls have their little pixie haircut. They get out, they register, they go into a little outhouse with mom and they get a new gym uniform. They get out, they kiss their mom and dad goodbye, and they'll see them in six months. They can communicate via mail. But it's important to understand, the parents don't even have the money for the bus ride. Like, it isn't like, oh, let's go down and visit our kids. They don't have the money, and they work on Saturdays and Sundays. So they come for Mother's Day and Father's Day. But you have to understand, we're, we're striving after the poorest of the poor. That's what we want to change. That was all Father Al's intention. Go for the poorest of the poor and change their life. That was it. And so we accept the children in Guatemala, Honduras. Sometimes we accept children from gang-infested areas, and the children have to leave at night to come to our school because the, they know that if the boy leaves, they will not be able to recruit him for the gang because he will start to know the truth. The girl, she will not be trafficked and not become a part of the gang. So we really get into the trench with the kids. The children learn in five years. They come in below average. Um, you may not know, but there's many idioms, many uh, languages in Mexico. We actually have to teach them Spanish, many of them an intensive six-week program. Um, and they, they, will come, they come in below average, 
because most of the villages don't have qualified schools. They graduate above average. Okay, it's not the best school in Mexico, but it is by far a superior school to many other schools. They have a vocation, which means vocational training. For example, plumbing and electrical for the boys in Honduras. The girls are learning how to type and other tools that they can go out and get jobs. Okay, the girls live in groups of 30 or 40 with a mother-sister. So we have four buildings in Mexico. You go up the middle of the building. On one floor, there'll be two families, and there's 30, 40 girls, and a mother-sister is in charge of that side. That mother-sister knows the girls. She spends the whole year with them, and then they go on to the next year. She gets another mother-sister. And then that mother's, those mother-sisters teach the girls coast to coast. Many of the girls go through their changes. We teach them, some of them, how to bathe. We teach them kind of basics. The sisters do all that. So I have to help you understand, these are like Guatemala. The girls are bathing in the river. That's just the way it is. Um, and so we have to teach them basic uh, health care that is helpful for them to understand their identity, their dignity. And so we guide and form these young people to live differently. And so I go country to country to country, okay, folks, and preach, have retreats, healing. I have a lot of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and we bless them with blessed oil. The girls and boys are sleeping. I talk the boys, you know, boys in Honduras in last year's graduating class, like seven out of the 200 saw their father killed in front of them before they got into school. Their father was killed by, a, by like a local gang. And these guys, you know, they're just waiting to graduate. And I said, you, you know, you, you can't go back and kill the guy. Well, he lives in my neighborhood. You know, that, it's just real. I'm not asking for symphony, symph sympathy. I just want you to know the beauty of the suffering that is happening to so many people. And, you know, I try to tell the guy, like, look, man, you can't go back and kill that guy. I don't want to deal with your, the poverty of your son because that guy goes back and kills you. That it's just real. There's no police. You can't call the police up and say, hey, this guy killed my father. It just doesn't exist. One village I just want to share in Guerrero, I went out on Christmas Day last year because I like to visit the poor on Christmas, on, when I can and go out of the school. We went to Guerrero, and it's a really violent area, and they told me that this village on the other side of the mountain is attacking this village because this village is starting to harvest their crops. And so these clowns think it's okay to steal these people's food. And so they say, give us the food or we're going to set your crops on fire. I mean, it's crazy town, right? <laughs> and so these guys, everybody's got a gun. Because if these guys are coming, they're going to steal their food. I know it sounds lawless. Maybe it is. I don't know. But if I'm going to work five months farming that piece of land, and this all I got to feed my kids, and you're going to come steal my food, bring it on. <laughs> Not everything is just violence and death in poor countries. It is sometimes, but I just want you to know, like, in the poor countries, you just don't go down to the store and, and get, go shopping. The little tienda is about the size of, the, of my confessional. That's their little store. Say, oh, yeah, that's what it is. And you, so just so you know, you know, I, I, there's so many really rough things, you know. Um, I'll never forget the girl, and this, her mom had, was sick, and she walked to church, right? It makes me so stinking angry. Anyway, so she goes to church, right? Two hours this little girl walks because we told her, when you go home for Christmas, go to Mass. So this little one, her dad is handicapped, her mother's sick, her brother doesn't want to go to church. So she goes to church, right? And you know what happens? 
two boys attack her on the way home. Like, you know, sometimes I want to punch Jesus in the nose. Like, I have a huge mountain of faith, but sometimes I get really angry. And just, I, I won't talk much longer because we have to put the Eucharist. And then, so these two guys, these guys get her. So anyway, she goes home. She doesn't tell anybody. Her mom is still sick. She goes back to the store. The same boys get her the second time. And I mean, ugly. And she came back and she couldn't sleep. And finally she coughed it up to the mother's sister and she brought it, they came to me. And this guy, this little girl was like a frightened kitty cat. And little by little she began to open, right? But, you know, she felt so dirty. I just, that's what we work with. It's not sympathy. It's just so beautiful that the church is doing that. You guys are 100, 200 people. I don't know what you are. Nobody's ever heard of this. And I'm just grateful you're here to know. So I'm going to expose the Eucharist now. But let's, let's, let's do this joyfully, right? There's no sadness. It has to be for the glory of God, okay? And so... I'll expose the Eucharist. I'll give a meditation for four hours like last night. (laughs) And then we'll send you home. Is that okay? So, Jesus, we come with your permission. And we ask you, Lord, to Pour out your grace upon this time of prayer. You are the Son of God. You are the King of kings. You are the healer of the suffering, the abused, the traumatized. Oh Lord, the great confusion is why Why is there sickness for little kids? Why is there illnesses that affect their ability to live joyfully and freely? Why is there violence in homes and streets? Lord, why do the poor suffer so much? Only you know, Jesus. But everyone has something to offer. Everybody has some form of poverty to surrender. It doesn't matter what our life is or what our background is. And so we come tonight, Jesus, with open hearts and desires that only you know, Lord. Well, Blessed Mother, you said at Bano, I am the virgin of the poor, And I come to relieve suffering. Be with us, Mary, in these remaining two nights. And for those that cannot be with us, manifest your love. And for all the young ones who are suffering at this time through some sort of violence or abuse, we unite their suffering now. We draw all of that to this 
Eucharistic moment. Holy Spirit be with us and fill this parish with joy and hope, fill this diocese with grace. And let them be missionaries of love to bring the love of Christ to others. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Our Lady, Virgin of the Poor, Saint Joseph, Father Al. Please be seated, folks. So with your permission, Lord. Tonight I want to talk, last night I talked about baptism and your identity as a beloved son or daughter of God. Who am I? Who am I? Believe me, the foundation for building something beautiful with a loved one in your life is having the foundation, who am I? I talked last night, I said, I am not a priest but a, or a married man or a married woman. The foundation stone to build anything is I'm a beloved child of God. Last night I said it's a passive voice. I am being loved. I am being loved. Have you done anything to be beloved by God? No. You haven't earned his love. You haven't earned You never will earn it. So let's, let's correct that. A hundred thousand rosaries isn't going to earn God's love. I pray so that I open. So take this image with you. Every time I pray, I open to be loved. Okay? Amen? So this is me not praying. This is me with my cranky pants on. My mom always said I had cranky pants. I forgive you, Mom. And every time you pray, this is you. That's it. That's all you're doing. When you're praying, you're opening. And the more you pray, the more, the more that you allow the love in. The love is already coming but I'm boxing them out. I'm boxing them out because I'm afraid. I doubt. Tonight I really want to go deep into the Eucharistic love. Remember last night I talked about that image of Catherine Doherty, the Christmas card. Joseph is leading a donkey and on top of the donkey is a, is a, is a tabernacle. And that's image of Mary, a tabernacle, and at the presence of Christ. And I tried to draw to you that because of your baptismal identity, you have this tabernacle within you. Let's understand, from the moment of your baptism, you've never, never been alone. You never committed a sin alone. No matter how many times you think you committed a sin, you just didn't commit it alone. Why is this important? Remember how I speak to the young people. But Father, why did this happen to me? I was all alone. Time out. No, you weren't. But nobody was there when I got hurt. Time out. That's not true. Why did it happen? You say, well, people have sin. People have very serious problems. But you never, never suffered alone. All of us can draw to a time in our lives where all of a sudden we doubted. 
I talked last night a little bit about, and it's not a condemnation of my father, but he had a struggle with booze. He's an alcoholic. And I'm grateful for it. I really am. Because it made me so sympathetic to people with addictions. I wish I didn't have that experience, but it is what it is. In everybody's life, there's a poverty that has to be converted to something of grace. Every one of you has something of struggle, of pain, of shame, and it has to be converted to in a moment where from that place you become a missionary. From that place, you recognize the profound reality of your poverty. Remember the title of this mission is Blessed are the Poor. And so from that place of poverty, which is a lack, God seeks to fill that presence. So imagine I'm a child and I've got a boulder sized pain in my chest. It's just like a big tumor. And with the grace of God, I cough it up. I've got this gigantic boulder space of emptiness. And God is packing this gigantic snowball of grace. And if I just open through prayer, he puts it right in the hole. Sorry for the young person analogy, but most of you look like teenagers. <laughs> but my point is, is that so many of us look at our wounds as an excuse to doubt God. It's just an excuse to be angry. It's just the opposite in the eyes of God. The bigger the wound, the bigger the gift of grace. Then the mission goes forth. If every Catholic Christian allowed themselves to be healed, to break the stereotype of their own insecurity and doubt, if every one of you would convert that with the grace of God, and it's a passive voice, God does it in me, and I allow it. Remember, every time I pray, I open. Then something very powerful would happen in the culture and the church, and we'd stop hiding behind the tree like Adam and Eve and recognize that my wound and my struggle, my addiction, my trial is only waiting for the resurrection of God's mercy. This is not a pious thought. This is really what we call Christian redemption, sort of in the modern jargon. Every single one of you has a place to go forth as a missionary and to witness to others of the grace of God. Every single one. And the greatest struggle that I find often is because where that pain is, where that struggle is, there's always that ubiquitous shame that circles around it. It's like the smoke. I could never witness to this. I could never give God permission. I would never surrender that. But our church is full of people that had boulder-sized wounds in their chest. And you know what they did? They brought it to Jesus Christ and said, give me that boulder. I got grace for you. Give me that pain. I got mercy for you. Give me that suffering, that addiction. Look at them. Mary Magdalene, Charles de Foucault, the missionary that worked in the desert, the woman at the well, St. Peter. Our church is full of these saints that were great sinners. You know the story. Every saint has a past and every, every sinner has a past and every saint has a future. It's very simple. But I want you to recognize that the place, the thing that will fill you the most is not something, it's someone. It's got to be Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many candy bars I give to the girl that's crying in front of me 
because she went through pain. If she doesn't put Jesus Christ in it, it's just going to flow through her, as St. Paul says, into the latrine. I can give her a thousand compliments. You're a good girl. You're nice. I'm so proud of you. But if she doesn't have that emotional stability provided by the grace of God, then it's always just going to be another compliment that she's looking for. It's okay to hear it from me, but if, it's, if I'm not there, some other guy's going to say it and try to woo her heart. Every one of us has that wound that God is waiting to fill. And I would say the majority of Catholics live on Good Friday. They don't live on Easter Sunday. They just don't. You know, when I grew up, I told you folks, like, look, I was a big sinner, but I just didn't trust joy. I just didn't trust joy. And what I began to do is there'd be a moment of joy, and then I immediately began to doubt. How many of you, when something going, is going beautiful in your life, the first thing you say, well, I gotta be careful because I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. God is doing something beautiful in your life, and all of a sudden you say, well, I gotta be careful because I just don't trust this. Or something beautiful is going on in your life, and you actually kind of go out looking for sadness. Everything's going good, and you call people, hey, how you doing? It's like you're looking to find, to hear bad news. And if you don't hear it from a friend, well, then you watch the news. <laughs> it's so true. And that's exactly what Jesus, sorry, doesn't want. He doesn't want you to be, you know, sniffing around for sadness. He doesn't want you looking for, for the things that will steal your joy. The Eucharistic presence of Jesus Christ is the abiding presence. We know, you know it as Catholics, body, blood, soul, and divinity body, blood, soul, and divinity, sacramentally present. But the problem is, sometimes I feel nothing. Sometimes I experience nothing. But Christ is waiting. Christ is waiting to relieve the pain and the suffering. I think that we often turn to the Lord and say, Lord, just, just heal me. Just, just heal me. Well, part of the grace sometimes is trusting in God's timing. Part of the grace sometimes is really surrendering to what God is asking of you. Part of the grace sometimes is turning over your suffering to help redeem the world. The problem with poverty is not poverty. The problem with poverty is that we don't give it over to Christ. We can solve the problem of poverty in the world by food and water, but we cannot solve the problem of poverty spiritually, or spiritual poverty, unless we receive Christ unless we give people the living water. The hamburger doesn't heal spiritual poverty. And many of us may seek something material to solve what Jesus can heal. Why is it so difficult to trust him because everybody has been through something where you felt alone. Everybody's able to say, yeah, but I've been blessed, but where were you when I was five and, and this happened? Where were you when I was eight and my mom got cancer or this happened? Look, I'm surrounded by kids that can say that. I'm surrounded by kids that can say, yeah, Father, where were you, Jesus, when my father left? 
or the man claimed to be my stepfather and he really was only a bully. And the only way I can help them heal is to focus them on Jesus Christ. That's the significance of the Eucharist. We can't come to Him like we're seeking a medicine only. Here's the beauty of the way Jesus heals. It's always a relationship. If I'm a doctor, and apologies to any doctors in the house, I can give you medicine without loving you. But if Jesus is really going to be the source of my healing, it has to be a relationship. It has to be your willingness to put your poverty in front of him. He's not afraid of your poverty. You're afraid of your poverty. Because in our mind, it's my poverty is I'm overweight, or I have this attitude, or this happened. And so we use our poverty against Jesus Christ. Think about it. I use my poverty, something that I wasn't the smartest in school, I didn't do this well, we accuse him of that. When he was the very one who suffered the poverty. It's the most fascinating dialogue I have with people in this country. I usually don't have that dialogue with people in poor countries. But it's always an experience this isn't fair. Why is it so hard, folks, to trust in what Jesus is asking of you? Why is it so difficult to accept his presence? I think it's because his presence goes into my absence. So the bigger absence I have in my heart, the bigger the boulder that's left, is the more profound presence he comes, as he comes in. And that means you have to surrender. It means you have to trust. It means you have to turn over your will to the Lord and say, I trust. I don't like this, but I trust. When Christ invites us into a Eucharistic relationship, He's going to ask some of you to suffer. Some of you have already been suffering. Saint Therese of the Child Jesus, when she received her First Communion, she said it was like a kiss from Jesus. She wrote this in the story of a soul. But then she was immediately attracted to suffering. If we have a foundational love of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, then no matter what your suffering is, it will never be suffering that is alone. It will never be suffering that we accuse Jesus. Where were you? As you know, Fulton Sheehan said, the greatest, the greatest suffering in the world is the wasted suffering. It's the suffering that people are going through, and they're not uniting it to Jesus in a redemptive manner. They're not saying, Jesus, here's my breast cancer, and I offer it to you for the souls in purgatory or my kid that's struggling with this or that. 
All of you have something to constantly offer to Jesus. Constantly. Remember in the Mass, pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. My sacrifice in persona Christi. And your sacrifice is the mystical body of Christ. And so the mom over here with a kid who's got allergies, and the dad over here who's worried about this, and the grandma over here, and the teenager here, and the it's all not being united to the Eucharist. It's just laying dormant in so many hearts. And so many of our friends and family members, they're just burdened by the suffering. One of the greatest things you could do after this retreat, after this mission, is tell people to lift up your heads and unite your suffering. To say it to your girlfriend who says, I'm so mad at God, I want to punch him in the chops. That's what my grandmother used to say, right? I don't know what the chops were, but she always said chops, right? If each of you looked for one person to go out and tell them to lift up their head and to unite their suffering to Christ. Tell them, because really, I love that you're here, but I love the ones that aren't here because that was me. I love the ones that are not here at the mission. I'm always going to love the ones that are hard-headed. But you know them. And they have an excuse or a reason to be angry at God. Tell them you were never alone in your suffering. When you were baptized, like it or not, Jesus was within you. And no matter what you went through, you didn't go through it alone. I felt alone. I didn't ask you if you felt alone. I'm telling you, you weren't alone. If you say it, having prayed and fasted before that conversation, okay, are you with me? Amen. If you pray and fast before you talk to them, they will hear you for the very first time. I promise you. And if they don't, Monsignor will give you $5. <laughs> Are you here, Monsignor? Oh, too bad. Okay, well, let's just assume we agree. But, so let's say I'm talking to this buddy of mine. I want to be, again, I want to be missionary with you. Say, yeah, I know your kid's got a drinking problem or your, your daughter's got cancer. And you know that. And you're praying, you fast. And you call your buddy and you say, hey, let's talk. And you tie it all together to unite them, to tell them they're not alone, that the power of Jesus Christ loves them, And then you say, do you know what redemptive suffering is? Again, I'm talking about blessed are the poor. It's when you take the suffering that you're going through and you, you unite it to Jesus Christ on the cross. What does that mean? Well, he's got five wounds. Imagine you're taking that wound and you're putting it in one of the wounds. His heart, excuse me, his heart, his hands, his side. Which wound do you want to pick? Uh, the right hand. 
then you take that suffering in your heart and you put it in the right hand. And you will see a transformation in them. And you tell them constantly, you must unite that pain to Jesus on the cross. You must connect to his Eucharistic love. Poverty is not my worry. Poverty is not. I hate it. Like, the poor don't like being poor. The poor are not always happy. I hear all these trite phrases. They're so happy. Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> they're just not. I'm sorry that that's what you want to believe, or they smile, but they're not. No one wants to be hungry. But one of the things that I'm telling the girls and the sisters and the boys that, that I serve, man, you've got so much pain, you can make Jesus happy. Really? Yeah. Because you have a big boulder full of pain in your heart. Let's give it to Jesus. And I'll tell them during the meeting or confession, look at Jesus. Which, where do you want to give the, the pain? And these little ones will start crying, even the boys. They'll say, I want to put it in by his heart. Okay. So put it, put it all in your hands. And I say, now put it in his heart. It's not just simply an emotion or a psychological experience. It's a very profound moment of Jesus Christ. Every one of you has something to put into the wound of Jesus. Every one of you has something that you can allow him to receive. It's hard to surrender to the Lord. But more than anything, I need your poverty. <laughs> I didn't, I need your poverty. Hear me, St. Louis. Because your poverty helps my girls. Your poverty helps my boys. If you don't understand it, you gotta dig in your heart. It's not emotion. I'm, I cry sometimes, I'm Irish. I need your poverty. That's what the church needs. The church needs your brokenness. The church needs the joy of your brokenness. Really. Because the foundation of the church is not excellence. It's all broken people. The church is full of saints that are just busted up people, right? They're just busted up sinners, like Monsignor. No. <laughs> That's what we need. And so I'm asking you tonight for your poverty. And it's so easy, but it's so hard. Because it means you gotta open. It means you gotta put some oil on, the, on your arms, Tin Man, and open your arms like the Wizard of Oz. And that's hard stuff. And so we only glorify Jesus with our poverty. That's the greatest thing about being a Catholic Christian. The more busted up I am, the more joy there is in heaven when I get there. And when you're busted up, and you got a boulder-sized 
hard chest full of brokenness and woundedness, when you're full of cancer, emotionally or spiritually, that's when it's blessed to be poor. Do you follow me? Yes or no? Because that's when Jesus gives so much grace. Blessed are you poor because Jesus gives abundant graces to you. Blessed are you who have struggled with alcohol or drugs or went through something rotten. Blessed, blessed are you. Stop looking at it negatively. It may have changed your life. It may have been an incredible burden. But blessed, because Christ can pour the grace into it. Believe me, that's what the church says. That's what the saints are. But can you surrender it? Or is it too hard to receive? Is it too hard to trust? I have too much shame to turn that over. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I hear it hundreds of times a month. I'm not good enough, Father. I'm dirty. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad girl. I say, well, I don't agree. Really, the church should be proclaiming, blessed are the poor, because that's how God looks at us. You are poor, and I will pour my grace into you. We'll listen to a song, and followed by that, we'll have benediction. But think of your kids now or somebody in your life that's really struggling with an addiction or something. And I want you to give thanks to God. I know it's painful. I know it seems so backwards. But give thanks. And just beg Jesus. Pour his grace in. Blessed are the poor. Tonight, as we close the talk, we'll have benediction. Imagine giving to the Lord. What, what wound do you want to fill? His hand, his left, his right, his heart. Gather all of those things from your spouse, maybe your brothers and sisters, maybe your children and in-laws. Maybe you have grandkids. gather all of those things now. Make them into a big snowball of pain. And imagine Jesus saying, come, come, give me, give me that poverty. Give me that pain. His wounds are big enough for whatever you're preparing in your hands. Pack it together like a snowball.
And imagine putting that on G- in Jesus on Calvary. Maybe you're a little girl or a teenage boy. Maybe you are who you are now. And you're just walking up to the Lord with this, with this pain, this poverty. And he just looks at you and says, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you poor. And he says, come, come put the wound, come put this pain in my wound. And you put it in the wound that you choose. And then you kiss the wound. And all of a sudden the pain just is absorbed into the wound. And you can't reach into the wound and take it back. It's covered with his precious blood. It's gone into the wound. And you feel somewhat naked, empty. And he says, Put my presence in your wound. Put your pre- put, I want to put my presence in your wound. And where is he putting that? In your eyes, your ears, your stomach, in your heart. Remember, the bigger the wound, the more grace. And he says to you, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you poor. How about a nice hand for Father Dan? Tonight. Thank you very much. Hope to see you tomorrow night.